Tonight we're going to talk about forgiveness. And not only is forgiveness key to our one flesh relationship, but really it's key to all relationships that we have. Not only relationships with with our husbands or wives, it's it's key to relationships with that we have with other people. And what you find out tonight is that forgiveness is actually key to our relationship with the Lord God Almighty as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. In your outline there, um, we've got the Webster's College Dictionary uh, definition of forgiveness, and it's one each standard what we all think of when we think of, about forgive. I like the Strong's translation directly below that. Um, and the reason I like that strong, that Greek word for forgive is you can see that it's from eami, that is to send an intensive form of eami to go or send forth. So literally the way that the Greeks think about forgiveness is a putting away, a passing away of something to lay aside, to leave, to let go, let alone, to omit, to put away, to remit. And I just like that. I, I like that thought. It's very much an active thing. And what we're going to find out in this lesson tonight is that forgiveness truly is an active thing for us to engage in. And if we can learn how to forgive in this relationship, we can learn how to forgive in other relationships, and we can, we can have a wonderful one flesh relationship. Um, the word, go ahead. Well, I just want to kind of throw something out there. I know that there's times, even for me, where I, it seems easier to forgive somebody I don't know than somebody that I'm really close to. There's times where I could have a perfect stranger run into me in a grocery store, walk over me, push me out of the way, and tell me they're sorry, and I'm quick to say, oh, okay, it's all right. And it's kind of hard to do that at home. I don't know if anybody else has that same problem, that it's, it's hard to, to let go at home and say, oh, it's okay, it's all right. So tonight we're going to work on exactly that, and that's a good point. The word commands us to forgive. We are commanded to forgive. And one thing that we know is that if God gives us a commandment, then it's something that we can do. It's very similar to how we were learned last week that we're commanded to love. So we must forgive others as God forgave us. We know that as, as believers. The word also tells us that there are consequences for choosing not to forgive others. The word says, and we'll read this passage from Mark 11, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So the word says that if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. And sometimes we tend to forget that when we think about forgiveness. You see, God's forgiveness requires us as receptors of that forgiveness, it requires us to forgive the grace that we have been afforded. Each and every one of us comes with a responsibility and an obligation to, to forgive others. Go ahead and throw that other. Luke 6, 37 and 38 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Sometimes when we, when we see this passage and we read this passage, as a matter of fact, a lot of times you see this passage that we just, that we just looked at, and you hear it applied to things like giving or tithing, a, a monetary offering. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is preaching here, and he's saying that the forgiveness, that measure of forgiveness that you, that you allocate to others will be that measure that you receive. You see? 
So it's tied together. And sometimes we miss that. God says, God says that there are to be no limits to our forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter asks a, you know, ask a question that, that Jesus is ready to answer. He's, and Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Peter is thinking to himself, man, I am really, I've got this forgiveness thing down. And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is without, without limit, without regard. We're to forgive without conditions. And um, we see this a couple of times in the Word. This is, this is a passage. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Jesus, on the cross, displaying absolute and unconditional forgiveness to those that are killing him. To those that are killing him. And it's supposed to be that way for each and every one of us. And as Marietta said, sometimes it's easier for us to forgive somebody that we don't even know than to forgive within the confines of this relationship. Before you get into that story, I just want to, um, if you're just now arriving, everybody needs to take one each of those three packages there. Each individual, the husband and the wife, need to have one of each. And take something to write with if you didn't bring something as well, please. A couple Sundays ago, Greg and I preached together, and we talked about Chris Carrier um, and his story. Does anyone, was anyone, I'm going to ask if anyone was not there that didn't hear it. Okay. Um, so we do have some people that haven't heard it. So I'm going to go through it, but not in as much detail. Um, Chris, at the age of 10 years old, was kidnapped. And he was kidnapped by someone who was seeking revenge from his father, uh, on his father. Chris never met this man, didn't know who he was. He was kidnapped and um, stabbed repeatedly and taken to an area uh, in Florida known as Alligator Alley and left off of a side road, about 30 feet off of a side road, where he was then shot through the head and left for dead. And the man took off, this man took off, left him there to die. Chris woke up from this from this ordeal, and the last thing the man had told him before shooting him was that he was going to go and call Chris's dad to come and get him. And Chris knew and loved his dad, knew his dad would be there in a heartbeat, and he was scared sitting off this road that maybe his dad wouldn't see him. Chris didn't know he'd been shot. So he went to the, to, out from the brush over to the side of the road and sat on a rock waiting for his, his dad to come and get him where he was found by some passerbyers, what Chris didn't realize is not just a few hours had passed, but five nights. He had laid there for five nights in Alligator Alley with all of the critters and things that would eat bleeding meat without a scratch other than what had been inflicted by this man. Um, Chris lived a life where he, because of the shot to his head, one eye kind of drooped shut. It severed the optic nerve so he can't see out of that eye and never regained any vision. So his whole life was looking in the mirror, being reminded of his ordeal. But he kept talking about how he forgave this man, even though he never knew it. 22 years went by. This man was never charged from the, for the crime, by the way, and the police knew who he was. 
22 years go by, and a plea, uh, the same policeman opens up the file and finds this man. He's in a nursing home. He's now um, weighs about 75 pounds on a six-foot frame. And after several visits, the man being assured of he cannot be charged with a crime because the statute of limitations has run, admits that he tried to kill this little boy. Um, <clears throat> the police notified Chris that they found him and, and, and that he had confessed. And they asked Chris if they wanted to meet him. And Chris, who's been living his life as a Christian, who's been involved in being a youth past, been a youth pastor and, and been to uh, seminary, said yes. So he went to the nursing home to meet this, this man, and during one of the visits, the man who couldn't see, he was now blind from glaucoma, reached his hands towards Chris as if he could see him, took his hands and struggled and choked out, I'm sorry. And what Chris said to him was, I forgive you. And now there's nothing between us except a new friendship. And, you, and Chris didn't stop at that. He continued to visit this man in the nursing home for the next several weeks and eventually led him to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. A few weeks after that, this man, David, died and um, but every day, almost every day, Chris and his family, and there you can see Chris with his daughter peeking through the bed rail, visited him in the nursing home. And they talked about all kinds of things, but not the kidnapping after the initial I'm sorry. And they actually became friends, learning a lot about each other. And it was probably the only friend that David ever had. This, uh, this man faced every day, uh, Chris, what had happened to him, and yet he walked in total forgiveness. And it's easy to say to somebody, oh, I forgive you and never see him again, right? It's a whole lot harder to say, oh, I forgive that person, run into them, walk through it, and then, and then live it afterwards. And here's a picture of a man who probably was, well, he was raised by really good parents who loved the Lord. And he loved the Lord and he knew he had to forgive because that's what the Bible told him. That's how he lived his whole life from the time he was about 12 years old. Marietta and I had a chance to talk with Chris a few weeks ago, and we spent two hours on the phone with him, and it's an amazing story, and, and um, we're hoping that Chris will have an opportunity to come talk to us here at Generations Church in July, so we're trying to line that up right now, but it's an amazing story of forgiveness. The Bible goes on to say, and we're using this, the Chris Carrier story, to illustrate the level of forgiveness that we're supposed to have. But there, the Bible says other things about forgiveness as well. Jesus said we are to get to forgiveness quickly so we don't give the devil a foothold. Go ahead and throw that, uh, Matthew. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will be by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now, notice in this passage that as Jesus is talking about forgiveness, he's not talking about anything about who's right or wrong. He's not talking about justice. And so it's supposed to be within this relationship as well. When we forgive, as, as, as I look at Marietta to forgive, there are a lot of times where, you know, I want to be right. But 
the model that Jesus is telling us about here doesn't say anything about being right. He's saying, agree with your adversary quickly. And the prison that he's referring to is the prison that we can be caught up in if we dwell in unforgiveness. You see that? Okay, so forgiveness is a, is a choice. It's an action. It's a choice. It's a matter of our will. It's not a feeling. Sometimes we think about forgiveness a lot like we think about love. But if God has forgiven us and God says to us that he will not remember our sins. That's what God has told us. He's not going to remember our sins. Well, how can God forget anything? How can God forget anything? He's God. And the fact of the matter is, is that God can't. But what he can do is that he chooses not to remember. So in the same way, in order for us to have the Christ-like forgiveness that is expected of us, we must willingly choose If I want to forgive Marietta and I really do feel like I'm wronged, I must choose literally to lay it down, to make a conscious decision to no longer remember the the offense, whether it's real or perceived, against me. There's, There's no stronger scripture to me than the scripture that talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because the enemy's not going to want you to forget. Okay? And this is why we know God can't forget. Because the enemy doesn't forget. And, they're, and the enemy is going to remind you about what your spouse did yesterday or the week last week. And he's going to constantly remind you. And you have to turn your mind to other things and not go there. Amen. Amen. It's a conscious decision not to think about it. And that's how you take a thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Not let your mind wander where no good is going to come from. Once we have decided to forgive, we don't talk about it anymore. End of story, period, amen, done, we're done. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Go ahead and throw the Isaiah. Isaiah 43 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's what God says. And then in Psalms, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So he literally is choosing no longer to remember our sins. In a very like manner, we have to do the same thing for each other. You know, love does not allow for us to keep score In 1 Corinthians 13, um, the love chapter, once again, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It's a high standard for us. When we love someone, we keep no record of being wronged. We're going to talk a little bit more here about how we do that. But God loves us and, and, and grants us forgiveness freely. So what I want to make sure that I do, if, if I recognize that God is loving me and freely forgiving me, I don't want to make a Marietta pay a price for forgiveness, for my forgiveness. So I'm not going to make her pay a price for my love, for my forgiveness. See, What we want to do is we want to think of forgiveness as an issue between ourselves and God. So a lot of times, I'm not forgiving Marietta for her sake, but I'm I'm forgiving Marietta for my own sake and to protect that relationship, not only that I have with Marietta, but to protect the relationship that I have with the Lord God Almighty. Do you see that? So that when I walk in forgiveness towards Marietta, this relationship is good. This relationship is free. Sometimes we want to make each other pay a price before we say, I forgive us. Well, I'm pretty upset at you, so I'll think about it. Anybody ever say that? (laughs) I'll think about it. Greg will ask me. 
Are are you going to forgive me? <laughs> yes. When? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk okay. about being stubborn. Um, <laughs> well, but the the price could be anything from wanting to rehash every detail so he knows how he wronged me. Believe me, if he got to I'm sorry, he knows he wronged me. But something in me still wants him to understand in minute detail, the way a woman likes to think, that he wronged me. Every single little depth of that wrong. And sometimes men do it to women, but more often it's the women doing it to the men. And ladies, we just have to learn how to truly walk, just ask the Lord in the times of those circumstances where you're angry and upset at your spouse, just really ask the Lord, look, I'm, I'm given my forgiveness, but you better help me out because I can't do it without you. <laughs> That's good. And at the, um, at the same time that Marietta's over there having that conversation with the Lord, I am walking in forgiveness. That whole time, because I'm waiting for God to talk to her and say, you know, can we lay this down? Can we lay this down? And so I'm laying it down, you know. And I, I really do, I think Marietta brings up a good point, and that is that for whatever reason, I think that in most cases, I'm going to make a general statement here, it's, um, it's easier for guys to, to get to that point of forgiveness, and maybe that's because we need more grace. I don't know. You know, so we can get there typically more easily, and, 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 and next week we're going to talk in a lot more detail about this, but women like to kind of understand things, and so I think that hinders them sometimes from getting, getting to a forgiveness, a point of forgiveness quickly. Right, and it has to do with us wanting to know all the details, right? Yeah. So I want to know why he did what he did. Because I'm a guy. Right? Really he, he doesn't know why he did what he That's did. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I want to know. And so I want to dig deep, get him to feel his feelings. And he just wants to go, hey, I'm sorry. I just want to add a conversation. I don't want to look any deeper. Can we move on? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. So we'll talk, we'll talk some more about this next week. But anyway, so forgiveness really, it doesn't see right or wrong. It's, it's totally unconditional. Here's the thing that we have to think about. You know, Jesus did not require us to get, a, get to a point of perfection before he came to give us salvation. Praise God. Thank you. And he doesn't require us to maintain a state of perfection as we're working out our own salvation. Isn't that great news? And so in a similar fa- fashion, we are, we are walking out forgiveness towards each, each other Understanding that each of us are imperfect, um, but we're unconditionally granting forgiveness as we walk along. I'm going to tell you another story. A lot of you probably know who I'm going to talk about. Um, this is um, the Corbin, the Cor, is Corey Tenboom's story. And probably 90% of the women in here are going to know who she is. The men may or may not. Um, this are, these are brother and sisters. Betsy is seated and Corey is standing, and they're going to be the main people I talk about today, tonight. Um, this is a Chris, was a Christian family, lived in a place called Harlem, Holland. And... They lived during the period of time that World War II was taking place. During that period of time, they lived in a, this shop, above the shop, the watch shop. Her dad was a watch repair, and she was learning that trade. She was actually in her 50s during the, her and Betsy were in their 50s during the, um, the war. So, uh, they, they always had an open house. They always helped their people in need. They really lived out their Christian values in their community. They were very involved in social um, work. And during, and during World War II, their house became 
kind of an interim hiding place for people on the run from the Nazis. And that included not just Jewish people, but people that were part of the um, Dutch underground resistance movement, uh, students who didn't want to become Nazis themselves, different people who, who the Nazis saw as undesirables, Jehovah Witnesses, um, people that they thought were lesbians and, and gay people, gypsies, um, and even children, because they had no value. Children had no value in, the, in a Nazi concentration camp. So these people were hiding. Uh, they would interimly stop here, and Corey would go out, and she would locate other Dutch families who were willing to take people in and hide them as well. And this was a huge risk to their lives. If they got caught, they would possibly die for this crime. And later it was estimated that because they were hiding people, about 800 people's lives were saved by going through uh, the Cory Ten, Bo Ten Boom home and hiding in a wall that was accessed by a sliding panel on the, you can't see it in this picture, there's on the right-hand side in the very bottom, below the bottom shelf, there's a panel that slid and accessed the hole that you see cut out there into the, into the wall. And in fact, they were, the family was betrayed and the Gestapo showed up on February 2nd of 1944 and searched the house, had it under surveillance, and um, the six people that were hiding there remained hidden. They never found them, and they actually got out and got into other locations. Not all of, uh, not all of them survived later on, but there were four Jewish people and two underground workers crammed in that little space for 47 hours. Um, Betsy, her sister, and her, her other sister, Noli, and her brother, Wilhelm, that you saw in the first picture, they were all taken to prison for the crime of helping Jews. They had some literature that was part of the Dutch underground movement in their home, and so they were arrested, and they were now enemies of the regime. Um, their father at the time was 84, and he died about 10 days after being captured. Uh, Corey and Betsy lived in three different concentration camps in 10 months, and they finally ended up in a place called Ravensbrück. Ravensbrück concentration camp was unique because it was originally built for women. So uh, the numbers vary. The records, a lot of the records were destroyed, but they estimate 132,000 women went through that concentration camp. Well over 90,000 of them died there. Um, not just Jewish people. Again, these were people like Corey and her sister who were just trying to help their fellow man. The, um, this particular prison was also home to medical experimentations, horrid things that like sterilization, forced sterilizations done incredibly wicked ways and um, removing bones in their legs just to see what would happen, breaking the bones in their legs for surgeries, removing nerves to see if they would regenerate, removing big muscles in the legs. It was a really terrible place. They had forced hard labor, scarcity of food, and most of the deaths there happened by starvation, torture, beatings, hangings, shootings, and then mobile gas chambers. And after that, they built a um, crematorium. All of the children that came through there, those, the babies and children, were killed. No children, little children survived that camp. This is a memorial that exists at Ravensbrück concentration camp now called Two Women Standing. Eventually, the place also has some men, but Initially, it was just women. Corey lived to be, um, her sister, first of all, died at the age of 59 while in prison there. And 
Corey was released by accident a week, a week before women her age were set to be executed. It was a total clerical error. She has no idea how it happened, but she got led to the gate in which she thought she was being taken to the gas chamber, and, and they shut, she heard the hinges close behind her, and she left. She died in 1983 on her 83rd birthday, and she preached and taught all over the world about Jesus. She wrote several books. She, there's still several websites to her, and including a museum where the clock shop and her bedroom was that concealed the, um, had the hidden room. In 1972, Guidepost magazine carried an article called I'm Still Learning to Forgive, and uh, she told the story in that article about speaking at a church in Munich, Germany in 1947, just shortly after the war had ended, and the people in Germany, you have to understand that they've lost the war, and they have been party to some atrocious acts, simply by them not doing something made them party to the things that had happened in these various concentration camps. And Corey's sister, Betsy, knew that these people would need ministry. They would need to hear about the forgiveness that God could give them and the love of Christ. And so before she died, they had a conversation about the, how this would take place. And Corey dreaded it, but walked in it because it was the Lord's will for her life. When she was at this church speaking, she was bringing a message of God's great forgiveness for everything to these German people who were now pretty well beat down. They listened in silence. They gathered their things in silence. They left in silence. And as they were leaving the building, one man came towards her, and she could tell by the way he was dressed that he was a Nazi. And as she got closer, she recognized him as one of the guards in the prison. And she realized that this was the guard that that she had to pass naked in front of while he watched and her sister in front of her. And the only thing she kept, kept thinking was that her sister's skin was as thin as parchment because they were so starved for food. Now, as he got in front of her, his words to her were, he stuck out his hand, first of all, and he said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. He admitted to her that he had been a guard at that same prison that she had just spoken about. And he said, I know that God has forgiven me and the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips. Fraulein, and again his hand came out, will you forgive me? And Corey froze. She thought of her sister and how her sister died a torturous death. And she thought if she forgave this man that it might somehow erase the memory of what had happened to her sister and to the rest of her family. Four family members died in this, during the war. But she said, I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She called out to God, help. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, she thrust her hand into the one stretched out to her. And she said a warm current flowed from her shoulder into their handshake. And as tears filled her eyes, She said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And so there she had been, faced with a man 
who was responsible for the death of many of the people in the con- many of her friends in the concentration camp, the women that she got to know, babies, children, her own sister, and had been walking with this message of forgiveness and came face to face with her guard and was able, God gave her, I believe, the grace to accept his apology and extend her hand of forgiveness. And she continued to walk in that all the days of her life. This is an extreme example, but what I want you to get from it is we, we, have, we can tick off between these two stories so many things. None of us have probably faced that, any of those things, or very little of them in this relationship. How easy it should be for us to forgive. It's a hard story to, to hear, and Marietta was telling me about the story earlier today, and she told me a couple of times, and each time she broke down crying, but the point that she makes is, is a good point, and that is that there's nothing close to anything, that, type, that level of ought that exists in this relationship, but God can still supply the grace to forgive, even in that extreme example. One of the things that we want to talk t- about tonight before we, before we close and, and get to a, a, an exercise is that there are a couple of things that un- accompany unforgiveness that we need to know about. and We call it the unforgiveness partners in crime, pride and offense. And if you look in Second Samuel and read chapters 13 through 18, you read the story of Absalom and how the pride and the offense and his lack of forgiveness really takes him down a road that, that, that leads him to destruction and the destruction of a, a bunch of other lives as well. But I want to talk about pride a little bit and offense tonight from this perspective. Pride really stands in the way of our ability to be able to get to a point of forgiveness we want to be justified. We want everybody to know that we're right. That's all about pride. And so pride is wandering around when we're operating in pride and it's looking for a way to justify the behavior. And it also allows us to take the offense and grab it into a way that literally we become possessive about the offense. You see this? Pride wants us, everybody else to know that we're right. And it skews our vision. It, it, it clouds our vision to the point where we look at everybody else and we say, and this has happened to me. I'm just going to, you know, I'll look at Marietta and say, man, what you did to me is so much worse than what I ever did to you. Happens, right? Happens. Pride will keep us from accepting truth. It can begin to harden our heart. And it will dim our eyes to what God wants, the will that God has for us. And included in that is offense. And I want to talk about offense a little bit. You know, when we, when we, when we take up offense, um, we begin to get hurt, disappointed. We can even get sick to the point of being physically sick. And, and the Bible actually even says that if, we're, if we hold on to offense... We can die from it. We can literally die. So we get into this cycle of unforgiveness, this pride and offense, and it, we go down the, 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 the slippery slope of bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice, and pretty soon we're beginning to think of ways that we're going to get even. What's happening in this cycle is that our soul can be wounded and a bitter root can be established. Um, once that bitter root is established, it affects our ability to love not only our spouse, but love others the way that we're commanded to love each other, and it affects our ability to even love God. So we, we talk about this downward 
spiral of offense. And, 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 and it can start out so stinking innocuously that you can't even believe it. We can, we can get offended by just saying something like, you know, Marietta and I will get into it. And, and I'll say something like, well, you hurt my feelings. So. Or, you know, or something even stupider than that. You know, you got under my skin yeah. or you're, you're threatening my manhood or how could you or why would you, you know. And maybe some of you guys have said, said that as well. But that's the first step to heading down the path of this spiral of offense. And so once I get into that, start heading down that path, then I begin to get more sensitive now, is that stupid or what? But I even get more sensitive. You know? Okay, you got under my skin. I won't let that happen again. I'll only take this much this time. Right? Then I begin to justify my behavior like pride will always do. I might set up camps, and, and, and I want to talk about that in just a minute. Um, but I might share with other people about what's going on. The thing is, is that offense always wants to make friends. Misery loves company. So I might start talking to people. But you don't do that. I never do that. Because we have a rule. We have a rule. We have a rule. We don't talk to other people when we're mad at each other. Amen. <laughs> or, or about being mad at each other. Or at, unless we're doing something like this yeah. and using it to teach. But right. We don't tell people about our disagreements. So here's the thing, and, and, and let me just go off on a side trip here just very briefly. When you begin to share with others, and this is the reason that we don't do this, it's easy for other people, let's say that something's going on in this relationship, I share it with somebody else in a way that's negative. I'm trying to justify my behavior to somebody else. Well, it's easy for that somebody else that I tell to take up an offense against Marietta, and, the, and there's no way Marietta and I could reconcile and, and love each other and go happily down the road, which we will do, praise God, because we know how to work things out. But that person that I told who has taken up an offense against Marietta has no way to reconcile. Do you see that? So this is one of the reasons that we don't tell others about the offense or the wounding that we, that, that we feel like, that, that we've had. And, and this goes, you know, you don't want to share that not just with friends, but with your family. Amen. There's nothing worse than sharing this with your kids or with your wife or your um, mother or your cousin or whoever, and then they're going to hate them. I had a friend, and I loved her dearly. I hated her husband. He never did anything to me. But all she did was tell me everything that he did to her. And I thought, this is the worst guy in the whole world. I had an offense against him that had nothing to do with me. And there was no way for me to resolve it with him. I took up her offense and called it my own. Yeah. So this is the reason that we advise very strongly that you never, ever do that. Never do that. So if, if we get into a situation where pride and offense is involved and we really let this downward spiral uh, go without introducing a pure forgiveness into the equation, it can result in bitterness and a hard heart. Um, it can result in divisiveness that exists and separation between Marietta and I, and separation between me and God. So what we want to do is we want to introduce this concept of unconditional forgiveness. And and thank God that God has given us a way to look at that. We call it forgiveness of graceful partners, mercy, humility, and love. You see, mercy is what God showed us. It saved us. It's saving us now, and it's going to save us tomorrow. Mercy is required by God. And it, mercy allows God to work in me. So as I show mercy, I show mercy in this relationship here, God is working in me in a good way. And he's working on my heart. 
I'm actually, he is preventing me from having that hard heart, that unforgiveness, that bitterness that could be established. Humility is another issue. Go, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to remember that even with mercy and humility, it's hard in the heat of the moment to walk in those things. But if you can consciously direct your mind to think about what God has done for you, like even even in the middle of the, dis, the argument that you're having or the disagreement, if there's words said that aren't right or, you know, anger that's displayed that shouldn't have been displayed, even in the midst of that, if you can think of how much you've been forgiven for and that you will be forgiven for whatever part you had that night, it's a lot, or that, that during that incident, it's a lot easier uh, to extend that mercy and humility love to your, to your spouse. Amen. So humility is another tool that God has given us, and, and humility is the direct antidote. I'll call it that, the direct antidote. That's a good word for pride. Humility is actually what Jesus had on the cross. And the word tells us that humility brings honor from God and actually honors God when I display humility. So when I'm willing to lay something down, um, in a situation that might exist between Marietta and I, and humble myself and say, you know what, this is something that I'm going to let go completely. I'm operating exactly the way that God has called me to operate and the way that we see Jesus operated on the cross. Did you have something else to that? Yeah. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Okay. Um, And then the last partner for forgiveness, the graceful partner, is love. Um, Love is another one of those key components that saves us. And it draws us to God. And in like manner, it draws Marietta and I to each other. Love brings life and peace and God's blessings. That's what the Word says. And Love is the thing that ultimately released us from sin. Love is the thing ultimately that allows me in every situation to forgive Marietta, praise God, because what I'm thinking about, if I can't do it any other way, I'm thinking about what the love that God has shown me and how jacked up I am. And still, God loved me. And so it's easy for me to, to love Marietta when I think about those kind of things. So it allows me to forgive her. Love allows me. And if I can forgive her, I can, I can see beyond what I think is any fault or any offense and still forgive her. I'm going to give you one tool before we leave here because I think that this is important and then we're going to get to the foundational truths. Okay. Here's here here's a here's a thing that that helps me guys sometimes and maybe it'll work for for you women as well but one of the things that I do if I ever get to a point where I begin to take up offense against Marietta I mean something's going on and she opens up her mouth and it just you know it, you know what I'm talking about you know <clears throat> I'm like oh man that really hurts if I can, if I can, maybe I'm not to the point where I'm thinking about God's love at that point, but one thing that I do is I remember a time when Marietta showed me unconditional love. I was, I was laying on a hospital gurney one time, and it was 4 o'clock in the morning, and I thought I was dying. And um, they gave me some drugs to kill the pain. I mean, I'll tell you, the pain was so bad, I had a, a stone in my bile duct. And the pain was so bad there in my liver that, that, you know, God, I could have gone to heaven right then, and I would have been okay. That's how bad it was. I mean, I was like, God, take me away from this. This is bad. And they gave me some drugs, and I kind of fell asleep. And I'm laying on this gurney in the emergency room, and I'm laying on my side. And I wake up, and I look around, and I go, wow, I'm still here. You know, I'm not in heaven. And um, this gurney is about as wide as one of those chairs, and I'm laying there on the side, and I reach around, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, the lights are kind of dim in the emergency room, 
and Marietta is spooning me. She's on that gurney half hanging off, hugging me, just, you know, just holding me as tight as she can and comforting me. And I, I reach around and I feel her and I think, wow, man, you know, praise God, Lord, I, don't, I do not deserve this woman. And so sometimes when I'm thinking, Lord, I don't deserve this woman, <laughs> you know, she's getting to me. I'm thinking what I do is I use this tool and I, and I think about, no, this is the same woman who unconditionally, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning is loving me in a way that brought comfort to me in in a time where I I needed it bad. That's the same woman. Same woman. So praise God. I'm going to go over the foundational truths. Yes. Okay. We have four things we wanted you to take away from this tonight. And the first one is that I will choose to forgive my spouse quickly. I will say I am sorry and ask for forgiveness quickly. I will not bring up the past, period, and I will not require my spouse to pay a price for my forgiveness. All right. And you'll notice that you have your very last paper in there is a blank sheet of paper. Does everybody have one? The very last piece of paper. Okay. Tear that off. So you have a blank piece of paper, and it's separated from everything else. Okay. What we're going to have you do, first we're going to pray, and then we're going to have you write down any areas of unrepented sin, things that you've done that you haven't told God you're sorry for yet, things that you might be doing now. Um, all areas of unforgiveness that you've harbored toward especially your spouse or other, you can, and then if you run out of those things, other persons or organizations like churches. How many times I've run into somebody who's been wounded by a church. You cannot be hurt by a church. You can be hurt by a person. Right? So, um, Employers, uh, also included in that, or any other organizations that you're, you may be a part of or involved in. And then when you're finished, you're going to fold it in half. Now, it's important that you are really honest with this. Nobody is going to see your piece of paper. In fact, after we pray, I want everybody to get far away from everybody else so that you're doing this without anyone looking at what you're doing. Don't, don't leave our room, though. And... Um, when you're done, fold it, come back to, uh, probably not come back to your chair in case somebody's next to you and they haven't finished, but fold it and just kind of sit quietly so we know you're done. And then we're going to, before we leave here, we're actually going to pray about releasing all of that unforgiveness. And, before, and when you feel led, we'll have you shred it. We brought two shredders with us. They belong to Greg and I. They're really good shredders. It's what we destroy all of the stuff we don't want the NSA to find in our trash can. <laughs> <laughs> so, so nobody will see this. We promise you that. It will go out with the trash. What, what this is, is this is a, something that we're going to walk out in the physical tonight. And we believe that it's going to be acted out at the same time in the, in the spiritual as well. And what we find is that people receive freedom through this act. As Marietta said, and it's important for each of you to know, nobody's going to see this. Nobody's going to see this at all. It's between you and God. This is something that you're just... you and God. And and, and we're going to pray over this after you get done. We're going to pray over this, and we're going to ask God to look at these things that we're going to put away tonight spiritually. And God is going to... God is going to move mightily here, and he's going to remove those things just as he chooses not to remember the, the, the sins that we, that we commit. So. so remember that after we, we're just going to do a short prayer, what you're going to do is split up, get far away from everybody else so you have some privacy, be honest, fold your paper in half, 
and sit quietly when you're done so we know you're done. Okay. Um, do you want to pray? Yeah. Um, each of you, um, I'm going to sh- say a short prayer, and I want you to say it with me after, after I say it. Uh, and Father, I thank you for the riches of your mercy. Father, I thank you for the riches of your mercy. I thank you for the riches of your grace. I thank you for the riches of your grace. I thank you for the riches of your love. I thank you for the riches of your love. I pray that during this time of self-examination, I pray that during this time of self-examination, you would bring to my mind any areas of sin and unforgiveness in my life. You would bring to my mind any areas of sin and unforgiveness in my life. I would also ask that you bring to my mind. I would also ask that you bring to my mind all areas of unforgiveness I harbor. All areas of unforgiveness I harbor towards my spouse and others. Towards my spouse and others. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, just take your piece of paper, spread out, take your writing instrument. As Marietta said earlier, when you get done, just just fold your paper. We're not going to rush through this at all. Fold your piece of paper and just sit there quietly, and and uh, we'll get rid of this junk tonight. Amen. These things that we wrote down now, and as I said earlier. Um, we believe that this physical act is going to be acted out in the in the spiritual as well, and that restoration will come as we lay these things down. So what I want to do is just we're going to take our paper. And uh, you can pray with me. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. Once we finish with the prayer, what I would do is I'm just going to shut up for a while. And as once we finish, as, as God leads you, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, um, and there is no pressure here, just come up and put your paper in one of these shredders. That sucker is going to be gone. All of that's going to be gone. So praise, go ahead. Actually destroying it symbolically on the paper is destroying it in the, it's destroying it spiritually in the hold it had on you. Releasing that, any unforgiveness and unrepented sin, getting rid of all of that is part of the healing taking place. Any healing for where that hole, that unforgiveness hole was, in your marriage. And uh, so take your time after we pray just to do business with the Lord right there in your chair or if you want to move and be away from everybody to do that in another section in here, that's that's fine. And when you're ready, when you feel that you can truly let go, because you have to, just as Corey had to extend her, you know, hand to grab the man's hand extended to her in that forgiveness. You've got to make the effort to want to let go of all of that, too. Does it make sense? So just pray with me. Father, I confess to you today. Father, I confess to you today. That I have harbored unforgiveness. That I have harbored unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. Bitterness and resentment. I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for holding unforgiveness. For holding unforgiveness against my spouse and against others. Against my spouse and against others. Before you now, I release all offenses. Before you now, I release all offenses. And ask you to cleanse me in this area completely. And ask you to cleanse me in this area completely. I forgive my spouse. I forgive my spouse. I forgive others. I forgive others. And I ask that you help me to no longer remember their sins. And I ask that you help me to no longer remember their sins. I ask in the name of Jesus. 
I ask in the name of Jesus that all roots of bitterness be removed from my heart. That all roots of bitterness be removed from my heart. I renounce all unforgiveness. I renounce all unforgiveness. All rebellion. All rebellion. All grief. All grief. All sorrow. All sorrow. All hurt. All hurt. All self-centeredness. All self-centeredness. And all pride. And all pride. I loose into my life. I loose into my life. Your grace. Your grace. Your mercy. Your mercy. Your love. Your love. And your forgiveness. And your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.